I want to get into the Word of God for a moment, and I want to encourage you to pray right now, even as I share these uh, thoughts uh, from the heart. By the way, you guys look great from here. I mean, what a wonderful group. We're, we're so happy that you're here this morning, up there in the balconies as well. We bless those who are watching us as well. But, um, you know, it's time to get into the Word. We've had a rich service. We've done everything, worshiped and done all kinds of wonderful things. But I want to uh, meditate a bit on, and it's something that uh, God has put in my heart. I mean, what you're going to listen to, to uh, today is a pastor's heart almost uh, thinking aloud uh, before you, trying to process um, uh, some thoughts and some feelings and uh, impressions that the Holy Spirit has been, putting, has been putting in my heart. So I have not overly prepared this sermon. Really, I, I, I chickened out and I put a couple of notes in the beginning. Uh, but really, I, I didn't want to overbake uh, this sermon. And I, I want to let the Lord guide me because it is, it is something that I myself, I'm not completely sure of how to formulate what the Holy Spirit is uh, kind of brooding inside of me um, as a pastor in the 21st century, in this moment that we are living in America, not just with COVID, but more importantly, um, about what's happening in America spiritually, socially, with all this turmoil that is going on with these uh, impending uh, elections that are before us and um, all the polarization that is going on in, in America and uh, even, with, even the church is divided over COVID also, but certainly over the issues of social justice and um, morality and so on and so forth. It, it, is, it is a tumultuous time. It is a stormy period in the life of this nation and really all over the world. And uh, as pastors, we are, we are caught in the middle of this uh, storm as well. And we have to decide, we have to make decisions every day whether to meet or not, whether to open our churches or not, what kind of a uh, sort of an editorial stance we take on the issues of our time and how to guide our churches uh, through these times. And uh, so we ourselves are in agony in many ways. I know I am as I look at what, what is happening in the world and as I try to read what the Holy Spirit is doing in our time. And... Um, I think for in the next two, two sermons, I will be speaking a little bit more about that. And uh, the word crisis has been in my mind. The Lord put that as I meditated uh, last night on, on uh, this sermon. Uh, the word crisis. But that's another word as well that is in my heart, which is the word definition. And really, crisis and definition, they go together. And uh, so this is really the, the emotion, the impression, the spiritual prophetic word from God that I'm trying to process, the word definition. And definition in the midst of crisis. God is calling us to define ourselves as uh, the people of God, as the church, and each of us individually need to define who we are. And uh, what line of action we will take in our lives. Let me uh, give you a little, I don't know if, we, if uh, you were able, Marlene, to put the, the, the crisis. I, I did a little study on the word crisis. I had an inkling of what the word means. But I wanted to um, 
<clears throat> define it clearly and make sure that I was on good authority here. So I looked up the word crisis, uh, the etymology, that is the origins of the word in the Greek. It is a Greek word, originally, crisis. And from that word derive all kinds of um, other words that are including in the Bible. And the Bible speaks to us about judging, you know, judging a situation and so on. So for diakrinis, it is, it is a word that has to do with crisis as well. And um, here's, here's the definition that I found that I, I, I thought was very appropriate for the concerns that I wanted to share with you. Uh, the word crisis is in, in its real, in its original roots, the Greek original, it is a, a decisive point in the progress of a disease. A, a decisive, the, the word here is decisive. It is a point uh, where everything needs to be decided. And a crisis is a decisive point in the progress of a disease. That's the way it was used in, uh, in Greek uh, philosophy and in Greek medicine. Particularly um, Galen and Hippocrates, two of the great, great um, philosophers and scientists who uh, had a lot of influence on, on, on uh, Western thinking and Western medicine and so on and so forth. Um, the way they saw, uh, they used crisis to define, you know, a decisive point in, let's say, a patient, somebody who is in, in a great moment of illness. And a crisis is that moment in the person's illness where a decision has to be made, where, where that person will either die or get better. So it is a decisive point in uh, the progress of a disease. And certainly, I think, you know, the world has been diseased uh, throughout many, many centuries, of course. And I think what, we are, what is happening right now in the 21st century, in the time that we are living in, is that uh, society is reaching a point of crisis. Now, the Lord has been speaking to me about this for many, many months now. I would say a couple of years at least or more about uh, decisiveness and uh, crisis. So it is the decisive point, the progress of a disease. It's also, it can also be a, a vitally important or decisive state of things. By the way, I'm choosing this from a, a, a website in the... Uh, in the internet that deals with the etymology, with the origins of words specifically. So it's also a vitally important or decisive state of things, a point at which change must come for better or worse. But change has to take place. It, things cannot continue because either the patient will simply wither away and die or, um, you know, they, they'll get better. But something has to happen. Something has to break at that moment. Things cannot continue the way they are. So think about that. It's a vitally important moment at which change must come for better or for worse. And I think that this is where America is. This is where much of the world is right now. Change has to come. And certainly here, in this nation, things uh, cannot and will not continue probably the way they are at this point. This nation cannot continue in its present state of uh, you know, boiling point. Something has to break. Something has to happen. And so I think we're in that moment of crisis. And it comes from that Latinized meaning from the Latin. For the Greek was the original word, and then the Romans took uh, the word originally, crisis, and uh, they defined it as crisis. So the next piece, it says, um, literally, it means, uh, it refers to judgment. 
Now, judgment not meaning in the sense of, you know, judging somebody, you know. It means like uh, when a judge delivers a verdict. When a judge, when, when a case has been processed and discussed of back and forth, guilty, not guilty, evidence, and so on, and then a judgment is offered, a final definition of a uh, process of judging. The result of a trial, uh, selection from krinein, which means really, you know, the word crisis also has this uh, um, content of uh, s- separating things. You know, separating one thing from another and finally coming to a conclusion. When there's ambiguity and things are mixed up and uh, you don't know what is what. When you judge, when you decide, what you do is you separate. So crisis has this element also of separation. Definition. What is what? Until that moment, things are confused. They're mixed up. But then there's a point, like, you know, the separating of the waters and, and the, and the, and the uh, soil when God, you know, in the Bible speaks about God separated the light from the darkness. He separated the different elements. You know, in every creative process, there's this element of separation, definition, naming, and, and uh, finally arriving at clarity. So, uh, you know, crisis has this idea of separating, deciding, Judging, it also has the idea of discriminating, not discriminating in the sense of racial discrimination, no, discriminating in the sense of, uh, because the word discriminate means to separate, to, to discern, to understand the difference between this <clears throat> and that. That's, that's really where discriminate comes from. The, ori- it's not, the original meaning of the word is not, uh, you know, what we know as racial discrimination or, or uh, that kind of, you know, diminishing a human being. No, it means simply, it's a neutral word. It means to to decide, to separate between things, to, to name the categories of some, of some things. That's what it is originally. And it also means to distinguish, no? Um, to distinguish between one thing and another. And I think that um, this is where we are right now. And this is where the church is right now. And this is where, where a, a, a community like Congregation of Lion of Judah is right now. And I myself, I'm involved in that process. I've been in agony as a pastor uh, trying to discriminate what is it that God is calling us to be as a church? What is God calling me to preach as a pastor? And what is the pastoral line that we must, each of our pastors must must follow when we proclaim, um, you know, the Word of God? What kind of uh, uh, an editorial stance are we supposed to take as a congregation. And I think that this is where we are right now. So, um, you know, uh, as I say, I'm not sure what is brooding inside of me. I just want to kind of uh, open my heart to you. And I'm praying that the Lord will will, um, not uh, scandalize or offend unnecessarily. And the word unnecessarily is important there. As I, as I share my heart with, and as I say, this will be a progressive thing. I will continue to do that later on. But I know that I have to obey the Lord in this, uh, in this motion that he's uh, taking me toward. Um, but I know that it revolves around this word, definition. God is calling his people. God is calling his church in these times that we are living to define ourselves. We can no longer live... Uh, in a, in a world where we're not sure what we believe, what we are, we're a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and we live in this murky 
atmosphere where we're not clear on, on what we believe, what we are as a church, for example. And, um, you know, before I go on, I, I, let me, let me uh, because there are several scriptures, I just put scriptures down and I'm, I will um, depart from them as I, as I comment with you. There's one passage that describes a moment, it's, it's by the way, for, so you guys can put it up, First uh, Kings chapter 18, verses 16 to 21. It's a well-known passage in the life of Israel. Israel had been in this uh, point, as it did many times in its history, in, in this process of idolatry. They were the people of God, and they worshipped uh, Jehovah, but they also, uh, you know, led by a, a malignant uh, king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel, because leaders, they exercise a lot of influence over a nation. Jezebel was the daughter of a very pagan king. She was a witch she was an occultic practicer. She was a malignant human being. She did not have any love for the Lord. And she happened to be the wife of uh, Ahab, who was a weak, weak king and allowed himself to be dominated by her. And uh, so Israel had been led into idolatry. Israel had always been idolatrous, had never been defined in its worship of God and, Israel, and, and of Jehovah. They, they were kind of in two waters. They went to the temple. They, you know, gave sacrifices. But also they worshipped Baal and Asherah, two pagan demonic gods. And they were with God and they were with uh, Baal. It reminds me of people in Latin America who go to the Catholic church on Sunday morning. And then in the afternoon they will go and, and uh, engage in Santeria which is witchcraft, the worship of, you know, other saints and gods who are really demons in the guise of uh, saints, um, African uh, gods and goddesses. And uh, so they, they do both. It's the same thing with the Indian nations uh, in Peru and uh, Colombia and so on. It's the same thing. Actually, there are churches that are sitting on top where there used to be pyramids that we used to worship uh, ancient gods. And uh, some of the indigenous tribes, you know, they're there in the church, but they're all really worshiping the gods that were under that, that are under that church uh, when, the, when the, that place was a temple to give, giving God. There's this uh, mixing of things. And so Elijah, the spirit of definition, um, calls Israel to a moment of clarity. And this is what it says in verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, because Elijah had told him, hey, get the people of Israel together. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. This is what Ahab says to Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? You know, uh, people who are disobedient to the word of God are always accusing those who obey the word of God of being troublemakers of being uh, self-righteous, of being accusatory, of being um, uh, what's ill-willed or, um, you know, uh, accuse, uh, to accuse others and think that they're better than they, than they are. So this guy is accusing Elijah of making trouble, of uh, troubling the people of Israel. So this is Elijah's answer. I have not made trouble for Israel, but you... And your, father's, and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the Baals. 
We must not let ourselves be intimidated by those who accuse the church of being self-righteous and Pharisaic. The church today, is, those who are preaching the word of God are simply preaching what the church has believed for 2,000 years, including what humanity has collectively believed for even more thousands of years. What has changed is the, the world, the present culture, certain aspects of the modern church have changed their stance and have changed the Word of God, have sought to change the Word of God and the values of the Word of God. The church has not changed. We're not making trouble. We're simply standing on what the church has believed for thousands of years. We're seeking to be obedient to what the, the Word of God calls us to believe. So Elijah says, you are the one who has abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. And this is Elijah's uh, command. He says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. <clears throat> These were the guys who were in charge of the spirituality of Israel. Prophets of Baal and prophets of Asherah. These demonic gods. They were in command. The prophets of Israel had been relegated and or killed and have, were all hiding um, at that moment. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. So here you, here you have this extraordinary gathering of all the people of Israel looking from some high point. And here you have uh, the prophet of God. And this is what he says. And this is really what I want you to, uh, to think about. This is what, where I want you to place your attention right now. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions. And I think this is what the Holy Spirit is asking the church today. We are at an Elijah moment in the history of the church. We are at an Elijah moment in the history of humanity. And of all of those nations that consider themselves somehow descendants of the Christian tradition, the Judeo-Christian tradition, it is a moment of definition until Elijah calls Israel to confrontation at that moment, Israel had been doing whatever they want. You know, if you, if you want to go to Baal's temple, go. And, and if you want to go then offer a sacrifice at uh, the temple to Jehovah, well, you do that. You know what? We'll meet at the synagogue and afterwards we'll go for bagel and locks or whatever and spend time together. It's up to you. You want to, you want to worship Ashraf? You know, that's okay. You want to, whatever. It all goes. You know, we're all the people of God and we all love each other and we... We're brothers and sisters, and so do whatever you will. And so Elijah is saying, wait a minute, you cannot, you cannot waver between two thoughts. You cannot uh, waver between two outlooks. You cannot waver between two, between two worldviews. You cannot move freely and comfortably from one position and another and not see the contradictions. I think what God is asking us to do in our time is to, to see the contradictions, to connect the dots. There's a lot of compartmentalization that we are all engaging in as the people of God in our time. And we believe some things here and we believe some things there, not realizing that logically they are mutually exclusive, that philosophically, ethically, logically, they cannot be part of the same mental system. You know, one of the 
One of the primary rules of physics is that two, space, two, two objects cannot occupy the same space. It's impossible. Either one or the other. But we do this in our minds all the time. And I see people all the time doing that. Christians all the time. You know, we hold some views here. We hold some views there. We, we do this. We do that. And really what we are doing is wavering between two opinions. Opinions meaning two worldviews, two outlooks, two fundamental positions. And, and the Lord is saying, how long do you expect to be able to do, to do that? How long do you expect to be able to believe this and believe that, not realizing that they, they cannot coexist in the same mind, in the same spirit? You have to choose between one and the other. It is an optical illusion to think that you can retain those two thoughts, those two positions, and still call yourself a Christian or, or uh, have the two. The, the two, they, they cannot coexist. But we do it all the time. See, we play these mind games to ourselves, and we don't connect the dots. God is saying, church, you have to connect the dots. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Amen. But if Baal is God, then follow him. This is, where the, this is where the Lord is calling us right now, people of God. This is what God is calling me as a pastor. I'm telling you, I'm preaching more to myself. I'm just sharing an agony with you. And please understand that. I'm seeking to be uh, sincere before you. I, I'm not, uh, you know, that, that's all I'm doing here. But, but I, this is a thought that, that is searing my conscience. You have to define yourself. You, you have to take a position. It's interesting with the, the reaction of the people said, but the people said nothing. What do you think that means? They, they just kind of, you know, they just stay quiet. They, they remained entrenched in their mind game, their ambivalence. You know, they, they could not take a position. They knew that Elijah was right. They knew that they could not remain in two worlds, two spiritual worlds. But the thought of having to choose between one and the other was too costly. It was too agonizing. So they just kind of looked down and, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and what, what did they do after? Like, they, they went back to their usual. They, they did not have the courage to realize that they had to choose between the two. And, and so, you know, I think that right now, the moment that we are living in human history, where the stakes have gone up, the spirit of Elijah is asking each of us to choose which God we will serve to make a decision because we are in a moment of crisis. We are in a moment of definition. And um, this is what the Spirit of God spoke to me a couple of years back. You remember I preached a series of sermons regarding uh, crossing, uh, a, taking a journey where we have never been before, walking a road that we have never crossed before. And it referred to the time when the Israelites were finally, after 40 years of being in the desert, and after hundreds of years of historical process leading from Abraham to through uh, the patriarchs, uh, Egypt, the desert, finally they were going to cross into Canaan. And now they were to become a people, finally. 
Everything that they had lived until now had been simply preamble, preliminary to that moment when they were now finally going to cross the promised land and become the people of Israel. And, um, you know, the Lord asked Israel at that time through Joshua, he said something to, and you'll find it in Joshua 2, 3, around there. He says to the people of Israel, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow I will begin to do wondrous, marvelous things. And you remember that before the people of God crossed into Canaan, they had to what? The men had to do what? They had to circumcise themselves. Until then, this whole new generation that had grown up in the desert had not been circumcised. And circumcision is a symbol of what? Of consecration. It was a symbol of, it's a stamp that God put in the very anatomy of the men who were sort of the, 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 you know, the spiritual leaders of the nation. And so as the, these men circumcised themselves, they were putting the signature of Jehovah in that very essential part of their anatomy. hope I'm not being too graphic here. But it was a seal of uh, belonging and property, being property of Jehovah. They had to consecrate themselves. They had to prepare themselves because now they were entering into a, a point of definition as a people. Now they were going to be fighting tribes. They, were, they, they would be waging war. They would be, enter, they would be entering into a time of great national crisis and definition of their identity. So they had to be prepared. They had to define themselves. They had to decide what God they were going to serve. And God told them, as long as you serve me, I will make you invincible. As long as you are pure before me, I will take care of you. I will give you the land. I will take all of these powerful tribes and I will submit them to you. You will not be vanquished in any way. But if you leave me, if you play games with me, I will chastise you, and if you continue and persist in your behavior, I will finally take you out of the land, which he did during the time of exile, because God's mercy and patience is long, and God dealt with his people for, it gave them every opportunity to repent, and they would play this game of being blessed, engaging in idolatry, being persecuted, repenting, being delivered, being blessed. Engaging in idolatry, and that went on and on until finally God said, no more. I'm going to take you out of the land. And he did. He exiled them to the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. Um, but they, the, the people had to define themselves. And I believe that Western culture, humanity as a whole, and I, I, I think particularly America because of the, of the dealings of God with this land, which are so special uh, here in America because of all of our history through the pilgrims and so on and so forth and, and all of this, you know, God is dealing, at, at this point, America is in a point right now of definition, and so is the world. We have entered into a moment of crisis, and the church is being asked to consecrate itself as well. Because we're going into a, a, a journey, we're going into a, we have entered already into a domain in human history where we have never been before. What lies ahead for human society now is something very different than what has gone before. I'm telling you, we have entered into a twilight zone right now in human history. I was speaking to a young lady who's visiting us today, um, and she's saying, you know, I, 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 I cannot believe, I thought that this was gonna happen years ahead, and now, here it is. 
We are living right now in something that we have spoken about for years and years that would happen in the world. Crisis and, and great corruption and, and polarization and persecution of believers and, and uh, so on and so forth. We are living it out right now. The world has become so much more entrenched and dangerous as a place to live in. This COVID situation is just one of many different things. As I have looked at these, uh, the violence that is going on in America, the disturbances, the riots, uh, the, the ease with which people now enter into violence in America, and this whole thing of the, the Ruth Ginsburg situation, the, the death of a Supreme Court judge, uh, is really, you know, and, and the, the impending election, there's this threat of uh, extreme violence in our nation right now. People have gotten used to violence. And, uh, you know, we are entering into a time in, in the life of this nation, but uh, the COVID situation that has uh, locked down our society, on and on. We are living in a time of uh, great crisis and of uh, impending doom, and doom is already here with us. And I, my people, I believe that that's not going to change. Um, things will get better perhaps with the COVID thing, yeah, but other things will come. And I, again, I'm, I'm sorry if I sound like a prophet of doom, but my duty is to tell you the reality. I'm not, be, I, I, I'm not the sort of the doctor of uh, good news. What kind of a doctor is it that who says, you know, he sees that you have a cancer and tells you, no, that's okay, don't worry about it, it's going to be good, it's all great, don't worry about it. No, we have to say, I think we have entered, the world has entered into a time of great uh, difficulty, great turmoil, because we have entered into a spiritual zone. It's not just a, a physical zone. We have entered into a spiritual time where everything is coming to a head. Everything is coming to... And again, the Lord has spoken to me. I've been writing about this for the longest time. That history is coming now to a point of a climax. And I don't know that it will take a year or two. It may take 10 years. It may take 15 years. 20 years. Because the dealings of God are lengthy but I do know that it's going to happen, and it is happening, and that we have entered into a time of great seriousness where we can no longer play games as believers. We have to decide whether we will follow God or not. We have to decide what we believe and what we don't believe. God is asking us to define ourselves. Humanity has reached or is reaching a point of crisis, a point of definition. Things must become polarized. You know, we often lament the polarization of this nation. But in reality, there's no other way. Because again, the fever has to reach the point, you know, before it breaks. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I, I do believe that it's important to seek... Uh, Harmony and reconciliation and, uh, you know, mutual friendship and so on. But really, I, 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 you know, in the deepest part of my heart, as I look at the, the biblical paradigms, as I look at the ways of the Bible and what the Bible says and what Jesus says, when Jesus is on the move, when the Holy Spirit is on the move, and you have a nation and society that is in, in, in lack of definition... Jesus will become a spirit of division rather than unity. 
And this is one of the scriptures that I wanted to, uh, you know, share with you. There's this one about decide who you believe in. And there is another uh, one that speaks about, um, you know, uh, Jesus has to become a, a spirit of uh, division. Let me find it here. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. We don't do justice to the, 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 the spirit of Jesus. We, we think that Jesus is, you know, this uh, honey-dipped donut that only has sweetness and, and uh, tenderness oozing out of him. But I've seen the other side of Jesus, and the other side is sinister. It is, uh, it is a threatening one. It is a spirit of clarity. It is a spirit of crisis. It is a spirit of definition. Where Jesus is moving, there is definition, and there's often division. You see, we don't do justice to who Jesus is. You know, you have people saying, oh, just give me Jesus. You know, as if that sounds really pious. Don't come to me with all of these divisive themes and stuff. Just give me Jesus. Pastor, you just limit yourself to preaching Jesus, and that's it. Don't get into all the other stuff. Well, who is Jesus? If I'm going to preach Jesus, I have to preach him in integrity, who he is. From A to Z, the total Jesus, right? The good Jesus who dies for us on the cross. The lamb who puts himself to the slaughter. But he's also the lion of God. He's also a spirit of truth and of righteousness and of justice and of holiness. He is that God that John sees in the book of Revelation with a sword coming out of his mouth. His whole body shining like burnished bronze. A terrible being that when John sees him, he, he, you know, he faints. Because it is, you know, it is that spirit of truth as well and of clarity and of severity before his enemies. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34 to 39. He says, do not suppose. You see, that's an important word. Do not suppose. In other words, don't you think for a moment, don't delude yourselves into thinking that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I mean, if, if he hadn't said that, I, I, I would have thought this is a false prophet speaking about Jesus. But thankfully, we know that this is a word that comes from him himself. Amen. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. And of course, he did come to bring peace to the earth because the Bible speaks, and I will speak about reconciliation in just a few days. Yes, Jesus has come to bring unity. And he also, the Bible says that, you know, in him there is no Jew nor Greek, slave nor master, male or female. He, he reconciles opposites. But at the same time, and this is the complexity of Scripture, he is also a spirit of crisis, a spirit of division, a spirit of discernment, a spirit of truth, a spirit of separating the false from the true the healthy from the sickening, the dark from the light, the demonic from the divine. And so he says, hey, don't you think for a moment that I've just come, I would add the word come, that I have come just to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace. But what? But a sword. Wow. This is the Jesus that I, that I have to believe in. A spirit of, uh, you know, in a sense, violence, because that's what the word sword means. A spirit of conflict. A daughter against 
her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This is what he's come to do? Where are we right now in America? We are in a place where this is exactly what has, is happening in many churches, in many families. I recently spoke to, I, I have spoken to two, two pastors. One recently, a good friend of mine, who told me, you know what, Roberto, my children, two of my children are not speaking to me. They've decided that they don't want to have anything to do with us because of our moral stance and our, our positions and issues of, of, of the time. They say that uh, we are not uh, acting in the true spirit of justice and of uh, mercy and, and, and Jesus Christ and so on. And say that they don't want to have anything to do with us. There are people in our own church, you know, unfortunately, who, who may reflect that to a certain degree. They have grown cold toward Lion of Judah because of our position in many issues. And, um, you know, we are living in a time right now where families are afraid to get together for dinner. Because sometimes, you know, dinners uh, can be an opportunity for great internal family conflict because of uh, the world that we are living in. And it is no longer possible in America, at least, and I think it's really all over the world, to ignore where we are right now. Elijah, the Spirit of God and clarity, is asking us to define ourselves and uh, to, to consecrate ourselves. I'm going to go on in this, but you know, see it as a, 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 uh, an extended meditation. For I have come to turn a man against his father, etc. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And truly, you know, throughout history, in the times where Jesus was, uh, you know, it happened, if you were a Jew and you believed in Jesus, the Messiah, you know, your whole family would turn against you. But in our own time, this will become more and more the pattern. That as you choose to stay faithful to the Word of God, as you choose to say, you know, I, I, I have no right to tamper with this book. A judge has no right to tamper with the code, the uh, legal code of his nation or her nation. All that a judge can do is make judgments, render judgments in the light of the legal code that is binding. A judge cannot have a, a son, for example, who is guilty of a crime and he happens to be the judge, let's say. And say, you know what, my son, I love you so much, you know, but you killed somebody, that's all right, I'm going to forgive you, don't worry about it. No, he has to condemn because he has no right, he doesn't have wiggle room. Judges have no rights to get, step out of the legal code that they are under. They have agreed to render judgment within the framework of the legal system that they operate in. And if they can find a way to do it within the legal system, then they, 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 they will do that. But, you know, generally the, the, the legal system is done and the process is such a way that it has to be very clear. And we, we're like that. I mean, we have this book. I mean, and, and you know, we have to choose as a congregation, uh, you know, what, what are we going to be? Are we going to be 
a church that says, well, you know, this book has made, there are mistakes in it. You know, there are some things that in the light of psychology and psychiatry and new understandings of anthropology and the history of the human race and the complexity of human emotions and of political processes and so on. You know, this book is a little outdated in, in some parts. And so we begin this slippery slope of judging the book instead of it judging us. And we begin to select and we take a pair of scissors and we cut out passages that we don't like and we leave only other passages that are nice and friendly and, and uh, you know, positive and so on. We, we cannot do that. This church is a church that has chosen the agonizing path of living between the truth of the word and the love of God. And we live there between grace and truth, between compassion and, and uh, clarity, between patience and an acknowledgement of our own sinfulness and the fact that we serve this holy, holy, holy God who we must bow before. And when we get out of uh, the, the, the straight line, we, you know, we repent and we get back in it. But we live within it. We don't stray too far from that line that the, this word has established. We, we are or not a church of the word. And I believe that we are. And that our agony comes from trying to remain within it. And at the same time, you know, to, uh, to negotiate these contradictory tense calls between grace and truth, between compassion and patience, between understanding and uh, clarity and adherence to a code that is beyond us. And so if we are that church who has uh, taken this book as sacred, inviolable, unquestionable, then we have to find our truth within the book. And we have to determine when we are playing games with our mind and uh, tampering with the book, because we do that as well. Sometimes we tamper with the book and we say, no, nothing happened. Somos como la gatita de María Ramos que tira la piedra y esconde la mano. Those of you who speak Spanish know what I'm talking about. It's a saying, you know, we throw the stone and then we hide our hand behind the back. No, we cannot do that. We, we, we are called to total honesty, total, you know, sincerity. I am, I am bound to this word. And when, when, I, when I get away from it, 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 it kills me. And I want to get back in. I don't try to say, oh, you know, no, just the word just moved a little bit. No, the word is the word, people of God. We have to live within the agony of the word. There's no playing around with it. And as that church that believes that this word judges me, it's above me. I cannot play around with it. I cannot change anything in it. Then we must be obedient to it. This is the time. And this Jesus calls us to that. You know what, what propelled me in that specific line of thought right now that I've just uh, shared with you is this what Jesus says in verse 37. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Do you love your friends more than you love Jesus? Do you love the comfort of uh, getting likes on Facebook more than the love of Jesus, than the like of Jesus. Do you enjoy the sense of community more 
than the koinonia with the Father and the Holy Spirit. If you find yourself um, uh, rejected by your friends, is there enough compensation in your spirit in the approval of God to enable you to say, well, that's too bad, I'm sorry. That's their problem. I'm going to serve the Lord. You serve whoever you want. But my house, me and my house, will serve the Lord. And if we have to have dinner, just the three of us, then that's fine. If you don't like me, that's too bad. Because I value much more the love of God than the love of man. The popularity. You know, I, I, I bleed for our youth in this time. I bleed for the young adults and for the youth of our time. Because the enemy is having a feast with even the youth in churches these days. Because this uh, need of uh, this generation for community is, has become so powerful and so consuming that they are willing to give up their spiritual convictions, not in all cases, of course, but the danger is there. And I'm seeing signs of that. You know what many sectors of the culture are saying? Well, you may, be, you may win an election now, but in 10 years... You will not be able to do that because we have the youth. This is what the enemy is saying. Even the youth in churches, in conservative churches, are abandoning the way of truth because their love for community, the tribe, has become so much more powerful. And the enemy has done a tremendous job through these media, Facebook, Google, Twitter, all of these different kinds, it, it has created a, an artificial sense of community that goes beyond the family, goes beyond the church. People can have community now, which is a false community, of course. It's an illusory community. They don't need a church. They don't need a family. The enemy has provided a surrogate experience, just as he's trying to do in other ways as well. But they're illegitimate. They're illusory. They're simply, uh, you know, make-believe. And so he's provided a community and that community has become more important to them than the physical community of their family or their church or other communities that have until, then, until now been the true source of, of company and companionship. By the way, there is a documentary which I urge you, I urge you to see. And that's an assignment that I'm going to give you right now as your pastor. It's called The Social Dilemma. The Social Dilemma. It's on Netflix, but I, I suspect that you may be able to find it in other, it may be, be in iTunes. But please, please, please watch it. The Social Dilemma. It is a study on the effects of social media on our youth, on our preteens, on our adolescents, but also on you adults as well, which is what it partially is what is leading America to this point of civil war and of explosive division that we find ourselves. The influence. Now we live in a world where we no longer know what is truth. You know, back in 2017, a woman named Kellyanne Conwell, is it? Said about alternative, uh, said something, used the term alternative facts. And it created a, a huge uproar. But really, it was prophetic because what we have today is a world of alternative facts. 
where you don't know what is what, where people choose their own sources of news. How many of you see, uh, read only a certain type of news and you look at other news? Some of us may be, for example, Washington Post, the New York Times, uh, Time Magazine or Newsweek Magazine, CNN junkies. Others may be Fox News and The Federalist and other sources of conservative. You know, we, we read what we like and what, what, uh, what reflects our viewpoints. And we see the other as the enemy and as a purveyor of falsehood. And, uh, you know, the media, the way the... It, it, you, you have to see this documentary because it will, it will enlighten you about a whole lot of things. How whenever you... Whatever you operate in that little iPhone of yours, these algorithms, these um, technological incarnations um, will see what you are doing. They will see what you are doing. They won't see it consciously, but they will connect the dots technologically. In a sense, they are like entities. Watching your every move, where you walk, what you order from Amazon, who you call, what restaurant you went to and paid with your credit card or whatever, or your, your iPhone. And they are, they are amassing all of this information whoever it is, it, the, 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 the great machine consciousness of our time. And it will give to you, when you open Google, you will see that it will reflect where you were, what you ate, what, what you used to, you, what, what you charged uh, your, your, your meal with or, or whatever, or, or when you pay with Apple Pay or whatever, what the supermarket that you went. Even sometimes I believe the products that you purchased. And it will give that back to you. You will see in Google, you know, an ad for a new kind of lettuce or, or for, a, you know, a, a restaurant around the corner. It, 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 the, the algorithm will speak to you. It will give you what you want to hear. It will continue to shape you. It, it will also try to guide you in a certain way to buy certain things, to buy certain products, to read certain articles. And we are in a process right now in America and all over the modern world of complete indoctrination. So we have to be very careful what we consume. You have to be very careful where you get your news from. Are you, are you feeding yourself from a secularistic, non-God-fearing uh, resource or from some other? You, it, you have to use your critical powers. Me, I want to get most of my information from this book. And I say most because there will be some information that I will, I will compliment. But this book, I, I, I have to read this word continually. I have to pray that God will give me this sermon. I want to speak a little bit about truth at some point as well. Because one of the other passages that I had is when Jesus uh, encounters um, Pilate. An interesting uh, scripture. So Pilate says to Jesus, you're a king then, huh? said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And this is what Pilate says. What is truth? What is truth? He's a highly educated Roman official. What is truth? You know, we live in a time when we don't know what truth is anymore. You don't know what truth is. This is a world of alternative facts. And these demonic algorithms will give us what we want to hear. 
and, and guide our, our choices, these elections are being dominated by all of these algorithms. Unless you step out of the, like, you know, the matrix, you have to step out of the matrix. We are living in a matrix right now created by machines or, and by the people who profit from these machines. Because the owners of Google and Facebook and Amazon, these are billionaires. They're no longer millionaires. And I think one is now, a, is it a trillion? It's the first, the first one was made a, a, a trillion. I, I, I hope I'm not exaggerating here. But it is, you know, we're, we're now, you know, being a billionaire is fast. You remember when being a millionaire was like a very rare thing? And then it became like everybody's a millionaire these days. And then it had to be a billionaire. Well, now it's trillionaires. We're on that way. You know, these are the moments when great fortunes are being made by these great media companies. They're the richest people in the world. By the technological giants, Bill Gates and others, who are also now controlling the world culturally. Because they, they don't know what to do with their money anymore. So now what they have to do is, you know, uh, use their money to guide the social dialogue and to control the discourse. Because that is what gives them real value. Their money, they're too sophisticated to get their worth out of money. They will get their worth out of control, power, influence. Being the great philanthropies of our time and, 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 and controlling the, the processes of health and wealth distribution in the world and political discourse and buying magazines and, and uh, newspapers and so on. That's what it's really all about. My people, all that I'm saying, I, please understand what, what I'm aiming at here. We live in a very complex, threatening, serious world. The stakes have grown very high. We are entering into a time in human history where all that we have read about in the book of Revelations and, and the prophecies of Jesus and so on and so forth are now, they're here. They, they are, the, the game has intensified. The stakes have become higher. The risks have become higher. The choices that we make of what we will believe will become more costly spiritually. What you entertain in your mind, the thoughts, the convictions, the beliefs that you entertain in your mind will determine how strong the Holy Spirit will be in your life and how well prepared you will be to fight the delusion that is awaiting humanity. The great delusion, the great satanic infestation that is going to take over the world and that is increasingly doing that now. The only way you'll be able to protect yourself is with very powerful antibodies. And those antibodies have to come from the Word and from adherence to the Word and complete clinging to the truth desperately. Because the moment that you start entertaining certain thoughts, certain convictions, certain beliefs, you will be grieving the Holy Spirit and you will be left without protection. And so if you want to have protection from the virus that now is increasingly taking over the world, you better get yourself in shape spiritually. And, and you better examine your respiratory system. Are you breathing in the Holy Spirit? Are you breathing in the life-giving vapors of the Word of God? Are you in alignment with the great truths of the Bible? Are you cleansing your life? We have to, we have to sanctify ourselves. We have to let go of everything that is com competing with the, 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 the presence of God in our lives. We have to banish from our sensibilities all the things that compete 
with the pure spirit of God in our lives. I'm dealing with that in my own life. And I'm realizing more and more, I need to circumcise myself. I need to consecrate myself. I need to purify myself. I need to sanctify myself. I need to separate myself. This is the agony. It's a beautiful agony. And you have to do that also. There's a lot of thoughts that you are entertaining. If you're like me, there's a lot of beliefs that you are entertaining that are not of God. There's a lot of practices and a lot of attitudes in your relationships that seem very nice. They seem very, very kind. They seem very harmony-inducing. Uh, they seem very elegant, even intellectually. But they may not be of God. They may not be of God. They may not be conducive to your spiritual health. And this is a time for decision. It's a time for, of crisis, my people. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to God's people. Take me seriously, says the Lord, for I'm a God of truth and I'm preparing something extraordinary and you have to define yourself. Let us bow our heads. Father, we desperately need you right now. We want to align ourselves with you. We want to be obedient to you. I pray for this congregation. I pray for, I pray for myself as the spiritual leader of this community. Keep us whole, Father. Do not let us stray from your truth. Speak to us. Speak to us, for we want to listen. And give us the moral fortitude to stand firm where we need to stand firm. And help us to walk that fine line between grace and the truth, between humility and uh, uncompromising integrity before you in your word. Even as that word cuts us right through the heart, ourselves. May your blessing be with your people today. May we leave from here strengthened rather than discouraged. And uh, thank you because you are you're preparing a feast. You're preparing a feast for us. We want to be at that table. We bless you. In Jesus' name.